This is Self-Work, and I'm Dr. Margaret Rutherford. At Self-Work, we'll discuss psychological and emotional issues common in today's world and what to do about them. I'm Dr. Margaret, and Self-Work is a podcast dedicated to you taking just a few minutes today for your own self-work. Hi, I'm Dr. Margaret, and welcome to Episode 9 of Self-Work. I'm so glad you've joined me. I'm a clinical psychologist, and I've been in private practice in Fayetteville, Arkansas for over 20 years, but I've just begun podcasting. I'm really excited to be here and so glad you've tuned in to this episode. Today, we're going to be talking about shame and what is shame. It's a belief that you are flawed, and of course we are all flawed, but that kind of belief leads you to the idea that you don't have any worth or value, that you don't deserve connection with others. It's extremely destructive. So today we're going to be talking about it. We'll talk about the difference between shame and guilt, the sources of shame. I'm going to talk to you a little bit about my own story, my own journey with shame, And how what one supervisor said to me years ago turned around my whole thinking about the usefulness of shame. And last, I'm going to be reading a question from a listener who wants to know something about the use of antidepressants, when they're called for, and when other things or other techniques for healing might be more helpful. So let's talk a little about the difference between shame and guilt. Those words are really used interchangeably often by many, but they're very, very different. Guilt is a feeling that you have toward others. You feel guilty for hurting someone. You feel guilty that you lied to them. You feel guilty that perhaps you had an affair or that you've done something to betray them and you feel guilty about it. Shame is directed toward the self. Brene Brown, who has written some wonderful books on shame because she's done a lot of research about it, has this to say. I'm quoting from Brene Brown's book, Daring Greatly. Based on my research, I believe that there is a profound difference between shame and guilt. I believe that guilt is adaptive and helpful. It's holding something we've done or failed to do up against our values and feeling psychological discomfort. I define shame as the intensely painful feeling or experience of believing that we are flawed and therefore unworthy of love and belonging. Something we've experienced, done, or failed to do makes us unworthy of connection. So whereas guilt can often lead someone to ask for forgiveness or through their actions show people how they're sorry or that they apologize for something they've done, guilt can be a very powerful motivating factor. Now, of course, if you carry around guilt and don't do anything about it, then that can be harmful to you as well, but mostly it will damage your relationships. Whereas shame can be highly destructive to the self because it's carried around and you just pummel yourself with these ideas that you are not worthy, that you don't have value. And we'll go over this a little bit later again, but what I've learned about shame is that the more you have of it and the more you carry it around with you, sometimes for years, then the more likely you're actually going to be paralyzed by it. You're going to not think you're worthy of changing, of doing something different. So you're actually more likely to repeat the behavior that you feel shame for than you are to change. But we'll get into more of that in detail a little bit later. Let's talk about the sources of shame. 
Now, these are ones that came to me as I was writing this down. I'm sure this is not an exhaustive list of what can cause shame, but it's something for us to think about today. First, there's physical and emotional abuse. It's clear, perhaps rationally, that you recognize that you were a child when you were physically or emotionally abused, when you were thrown out of the house, when you were slammed up against a wall, when you were called stupid or ignorant. But even though you know rationally that those things were about your perpetrator, albeit your father, your grandfather, your mother, whomever, said and did those things to you, you still can carry around a sense of shame that somehow if you were more valuable, that wouldn't have happened. That's a lot of the healing that is involved in abuse treatment or trauma treatment. Of course, there's also sexual abuse where your body and your whole self was treated as an object by your abuser. This carries an incredible amount of shame with it because, of course, you often feel like you've done something wrong or this wouldn't be happening to you. Sometimes even your body responds in sexual abuse because that's what it's biologically supposed to do, and there's significant shame in that, or there certainly can be. One other thing that we don't particularly think about as causing shame is neglect, the absence of good parenting or the absence of caring love. Again, a child makes everything about them. And so when they're not fed, when they're not nurtured, when they're not cared for, when they're not touched, frequently there can be a deep, impenetrable sense of shame. And then shame can also come from criticism or judgment from others. Many of us were bullied as children. We were teased and criticized. These days, it goes on with social media as well. So it's carried out into the world, which makes it even more horrible for the victim. And if you absorb criticism or judgment from others, you can feel unworthy. You can feel, again, as if, why is this happening to me? There must be something wrong with me. I worked with a girl one time who was bullied about her ears when she was maybe in the first or second grade. And she never did anything until she started seeing me that involves showing her ears. And when you think about that, you may dismiss it. However, when you really think through, she couldn't be a gymnast. She couldn't be a cheerleader. She couldn't hardly do anything physical. She did all kinds of things to hide her ears. She wore hats, and of course, she was teased for those as well. So the message from a bully or a parent or anyone who is highly critical can stay with you. Something we do as adults that can create shame, certainly, is when we compare ourselves with others. You can feel like there's something wrong with you because you don't have as nice a house or you're not as popular. I remember in high school, I was always nominated for things, but I never got elected. So I had to work very hard not to absorb that message of, well, you're almost okay. And there were probably people who wanted to be me and be nominated. So we're always on a spectrum. Some people have what we want. Some people want what we have. But when you compare yourself with others, it can lead to this very punitive self-talk and a very shameful dialogue with yourself. Something else that can lead to shame is perfectionism. I've talked about this in my podcast on Perfectly Hidden Depression, which are episodes three and four. But there is definitely a link between trying to do things perfectly and shame. 
because you have overly high expectations of yourself. In fact, for those of you who tend to procrastinate and feel shame about it, I had a patient tell me one time that another therapist had told her that her definition of procrastination was, quote-unquote, insecure perfectionism, that you want to do things extremely well, but you're insecure about your ability to do it, so you put it off. But I've heard a lot of shame from people who procrastinate. They say things like, if only I could get things done on time, I'd feel better about myself. So to work out a procrastination so you don't shame yourself can sometimes be the focus of therapy. The other factor that I want to talk about leading to shame is regret. I cannot tell you how many people have sat on my couch and said, I never thought I'd be someone who'd do this. I never thought that I could act this way. It's what psychology would call ego incongruent behavior. And what that means simply is when something's incongruent, it doesn't fit. It doesn't, you've done something, said something, been some way that doesn't fit with your concept of yourself. And you have tremendous regret, perhaps guilt about it, but that regret can entrench itself and become shame. Now, I said I was going to talk a little bit about my own life, and I'm going to. There was certainly a time in that life that I would never have conceived that I would talk about what I'm about to on the air in a podcast, but I can do it because I have dealt with the shame of it. By the time, let me see, I was 25 when I married the first time And by the time I was 33, I'd been married and divorced twice. I was living a life that I did not feel good about, and I was making really, really poor choices. In fact, my dad, who loved me very much, used to call me and ask if my practice was going well, and I'd say, Dad, you know, so far so good. And he'd say, well, you screwed up your own life so much there for a while that there are not too many problems that you couldn't understand. And I knew exactly what he meant, and he was right. But I felt deep shame for that decade of my life, and it was really eating me alive. I will tell you, if you knew me then, that you would never have known how much shame I felt. And maybe if you're listening, you struggle with this as well. I made jokes about taking two trips down the marriage aisle. I I looked like I was taking it all in stride, in fact. At the end of graduate school, a professor heard one of my colleagues mention to me about getting divorced our first year of graduate school, and he looked at me and said, you got divorced? I'd never known that. But I was tremendously ashamed of it, and I was putting up such a front that I was okay. But at night when I got home, the shame was waiting for me. I'll never be proud or happy about the way all of that went. I'm sorry that I hurt other people along my own path of learning. But what I did figure out with some good therapy was that carrying the shame into each day would only cause me to make other mistakes. Shame keeps you locked into self-loathing, which only makes you more likely to continue what you're doing that's shameful. I made that point a few minutes ago. Because you don't think you deserve any better. So you'll tend to just keep doing the same thing over and over and over. Certainly people with addictions know this pattern extremely well. And I see people all the time who are caught in their shame. I see it in people who feel that they're a part of something destructive. I hear it from those who are being abused. 
I hear it from those that are creating a problem all by themselves who are keeping secrets and feeling guilt. They say things like, I don't know why I can't stop. I don't know who I am anymore. I let this happen. Who in their right mind would allow this? My mother always told me things were my fault. That's my first thought now when something happens. It can be paralyzing. But luckily for me, I heard a supervisor. Basically, I had been divorced for the second time about a year when I was exposed to this guy. He was a tall, lanky Texan. I really didn't like him very much. I thought he was a little full of himself. However, he had written some really good books that I admired, and so I sat down in his class and listened. And basically, this is what he said. Shame is helpful if it lasts for 10 seconds and leads to a change of behavior. I'm going to say that again. Shame is helpful if it lasts for 10 seconds and leads to a change of behavior. Frankly, I didn't believe him. At that time, I thought shame kept you in line, that you needed to hang on to feeling bad. I thought it was the same thing as having a good conscience. But now, I think the 10 seconds is a little dramatic. But overall, I think he's right. Shame is not the same as having a good conscience. It's punishing yourself over and over and over for what you regret for a mistake that you made, or for what someone else did to you that somehow you're blaming yourself for. I believe so strongly that letting go of shame today helps you avoid self-destructiveness tomorrow. You can call it whatever you want to. You can call it forgiving yourself. You can use faith in a higher being to help you let it go. You can acknowledge you're human. You can see yourself with compassion you telling yourself almost, what would I tell someone else? Would I walk up to a six-year-old and say, you know, it's really your fault that your father screams at you the way he does? No, you wouldn't. So what would you say to someone else or what would you say to a child? It's so important to ask yourself these questions because they can lead to you beginning to be a little more objective about the shame you're carrying around. Other things that you can do to work through shame is to realize that at the time you were learning something vital, you couldn't know what you didn't know, obviously. Then again, what you can do when you feel shame and you recognize it's hurting you and you want to let go of it, you can do things to try to atone. You can do things that will help you move past it. Again, that change of behavior that my supervisor was talking about. And that change of behavior is important because you realize then that you have changed, that you are different, that you're not the person anymore that did something that you regret, and that certainly you're not that child anymore that is helpless to defend him or herself. You can tell yourself, it wasn't my fault as a child, and if I did something or said something or was something as an adult... The longer I feel shame for it, the less likely I'm going to be able to actually change. One more important concept. This really leads to the idea of self-acceptance, that the answer for shame is not you resigning yourself to feeling shameful, but accepting that you've done something that you don't like, that maybe is a vulnerability or a flaw of yours. 
but that you can tolerate it being there. When you accept it, you can begin to change it. For example, if someone doesn't accept that they have a problem with alcohol, they're not going to change it. If they accept that they have a problem with alcohol or whatever the problem is, if they accept that they have a problem with jealousy, if they accept that they have a problem with spending too much money, you can begin to change it. If you deny it, then you won't change it. And acceptance is not the same thing as resignation. Acceptance is motivating. So letting go of shame through compassion, through acts of atonement, through forgiveness, for acknowledging your humanity, any of those things will work. All of those things together will work to help you let go of shame. And when you do, your behavior will change. Your choices will change because you have changed. You have learned and the shame is no longer helpful to you. It's a choice to live in the present, not the past. The fact that I can talk to you about my divorces means that I am fully in the present. It's not that I will ever think of that as a wonderful decade of my life or something I'm proud of, but I can let it be without shame. So if you struggle with shame, I'm inviting you to join me in the present, in this day, and let go of it. Now we're going to move into a question from a reader, and hopefully a listener. (laughs) He says, Dr. Margaret, sorry if I'm one of the countless people writing to you, and they're not countless people writing to me, but (laughs) I love it when people write to me, in fact. However, I was hoping for some advice if you could offer it, please. For the past year, I've been feeling extremely low. However, on reading your article, it seems to have clicked, and that's the article on perfectly hidden depression. Outwardly to others, I try to solve everyone's issues and be a perfect host, but inside, I'm dying. I have an amazing wife and children, all who I love dearly. I just feel at times I don't want to carry on living. I try to remain positive. I've been seeing a psychological well-being practitioner, but I feel that they never really do anything to help. No one seems to listen or intervene. Do you think antidepressants are a good thing to take? I've been offered them, but not taken them. I would be grateful for any advice. I think the comment about the well-being practitioner, I I believe this man wasn't from the United States, but was from another country, and I guess that's what they call their mental health practitioners. But here's my answer. Let's call him John, dear John. I'm quite concerned about anyone, and certainly you, who has thoughts of death being welcome or even of a suicidal plan. Something has to change. It doesn't matter if your external world looks great or even perfect. And if my articles have clicked, it's because there's an underlying significant depression that either your practitioner isn't seeing or you hide it so well that it makes it almost impossible for them. Not all mental health practitioners are proactive. Some believe their only job is to be there, but not make active suggestions or recommendations. As you can tell by listening to this podcast, by the way, I'm not one of those practitioners. So I continue. Please be your own advocate. If you know something's wrong, and you do, then you need to act on it. I would definitely go to a medical doctor and talk with them about antidepressants. I'm not sure why you haven't taken them. Too many people don't understand how they work. You may have to try a couple to find out which one works for you. You may have something medically to be considered as far as choice of medicine. 
But if a med works, it will offer you fresh mental energy with which to deal with your life and whatever current problems or issues from the past need to be addressed. And then I gave him some really good books on depression that are actually in your show notes. One of them was I Don't Want to Talk About It by Terrence Reel. That's a great book for men on covert depression. And also Michael Yapko has some wonderful books on depression called uh, Breaking the Patterns of Depression. That's Yapko, Y-A-P-K-O. And basically, my thoughts about medicine, of course, I'm, I'm not a psychiatrist. I'm a psychologist, so I have to talk about this carefully. But what I see all the time in my practice is that when medications are working effectively for people, they will again have this fresh mental energy that I'm talking about. Sometimes when you're depressed or anxious, you're trying to use your mind to fix the problem, obviously. And if your mind is broken, if it's not functioning correctly, it would be like trying to heal a broken leg by running on it. So there are many times that medication can be helpful. Of course, there are other alternatives. There's exercise. There's mindfulness and meditation practice. There's journaling. There's therapy. And there's so many different techniques in therapy. And so medication can be extremely helpful, especially if you have a very entrenched problem, meaning it's gone on for a long time, or you have chronic illness. I want to thank you for listening today. There are lots of ways to get in touch with me, and I hope you'll do that. My website is drmargaretrutherford.com. My email that I read every day and is confidential is askdrmargaret at drmargaretrutherford.com. I'd love for you to send me comments or suggestions for future podcasts. I'm also on Twitter at Dr. Underscore Margaret, and my phone number is 479-443-3413. One more thing you can do is give this podcast a rating or review. That really helps me in iTunes. I'm learning as far as the podcast getting the attention of more people. And of course, I would love it if you'd subscribe. I'm going to be doing these podcasts about every 10 days or so. When I took a course on podcasting, they said I needed to podcast weekly, but I can't quite pull that off because I still have a very full practice. But I will be getting out a new podcast about every 10 days, and they'll be on diverse topics. So if one doesn't really float your boat, then hopefully the next one will be something that you could learn from. I appreciate you listening. I'm Dr. Margaret, and this has been Self Work.